0: Um, I I get coyotes in my yard. Anybody else here get coyotes? Yeah, um, my neighbor hates coyotes because he's got a couple of cats and I think he's lost cats before to the coyotes. Not saying anything about the cats, but, my, but he just has a, he's got a passion for getting rid of coyotes and, you know, thank you very much, Aaron. I appreciate that. Um, the, uh, the thing about a coyote that's got a face full of porcupine quills in the middle of winter, he's hungry and he was... Um, you know, And what a picture that is. And I, I don't always think that when I read an article like that on a Sunday morning that it's just coincidence, and the Lord reminded me of it. And so I hope you didn't pass by that opportunity for the Lord and for your uh, neighbors to pray over you, um, because the Lord answers prayers. I believe the Lord has moved in our, in our behalf. So good morning. Hi, I'm Terry, if you're, if you're a visitor today. Um, and uh, you know, I look, love the book of Proverbs, so here's a, a proverb out of chapter 2, because today's the second. I chose verse 8. The Lord guards the paths of the just and protects those who are faithful to him. There is a lot of imagery in the Bible. A lot of things in the Bible that are showing pictures or images of something um, God is trying to paint not just a literal word picture for us. I think sometimes, but helping us to see because many of us are visual learners. We see things and understand things better that way. Um, there's a, lo- a lot that speak about the things that Christ accomplished on the cross. And um, one of, the, there, there, for example, in Romans, I think it's chapter six. It, it says he says I was a slave to sin, um, not meaning literally a slave, but as if a slave. It's this picture and, and Jesus comes to free us, free us? from that kind of slavery. And um, another example is in Psalm 38. It says, I was drowning in sin. A very literal, pretty pretty graphic picture. And Jesus is our lifeline. He's the one who, who um, pulls us out when we can't save ourselves. And constantly, is, is this discussion is put in the terms of a battle. I'm a battle, but Jesus is my victory. So there's all kinds of pictures. And I think that after the image of the cross, which is a picture to us of salvation... Um, why. It just is, if you, you understand the gospel, pic- the cross is a picture of salvation. After the cross, probably the best picture of salvation in all of Scripture is going to be in, uh, in the chapter that we're in today, in Exodus 12, and that's called the Passover. The Passover is mentioned 27 times in the New Testament, although the story occurs all the way back in Exodus chapter 12. And uh, the Passover was God's salvation when the 10th plague landed upon Egypt, and uh, so last week we talked about the first nine plagues, and I saved the tenth one for last. Um, you know, God had called Moses, he said, hey, I want you to lead my people out of slavery in Egypt and uh, into the promised land, and uh, from slavery to freedom, from Egypt to the promised land, and, and with that whole story comes this vivid picture, um, this visit, it's actually a vivid prophecy about salvation. So nine times Moses has come to Pharaoh and he said, "Let my people go," and nine times Pharaoh has said, "No way, no deal." They're staying. You know, the river turns to blood, and then this, this curse of the frogs, and then the lice, and then the flies, and then the 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 plagues upon all the livestock, and the hail, and the boils, and the, you know, it goes on and on. Locusts. Darkness, utter darkness for several days. No, 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 no. No matter what, it keeps on going, keeps on going. And finally, after number 10, Pharaoh says, yes, just like God said he would eventually say. And in that story, the story of the Passover, are, there are, we'll find four pictures of salvation. So we're going to get into these four pictures. So, okay, so what's going on is this showdown's been building up back in Exodus 5, verse 2. But Pharaoh says... Who's the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord. Moreover, I'm not going to let Israel go. And then in the next chapter, Exodus 6, verse 1, but the Lord says to Moses, well, we'll just see what we see. Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out. Basically, God is saying Pharaoh is going to compel Israel to leave. He's saying no now, but boy, you just wait and see. And with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. He's not going to just let them go. He's going he's to drive them out, and then uh, so so these nine um, acts of God, with nine no, they're not going to go. Happens, and then chapter eleven. We get to chapter eleven, which is a real good summary of what's going to come next, starting in verse one. And the Lord said to Moses, "Yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from there. From here, when he lets you go, he will drive you away completely." Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. God says, okay, when you get home from church, go to all your neighbors and say, do you have gold and silver you want to give me? I think you do. Okay, that's what they're being told. Verse 3, and the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Yeah, yeah, actually, I did want to give you all my gold and all my silver. Wow, okay. So that's not even really listed as a big miraculous thing, but wouldn't that be a bit miraculous? You went to your neighbors and said, just give me all your stuff and your money. And yeah, I I think I want to do that. Okay. So, okay, moreover... um, There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor will ever be again. And what about God's people? Verse 7. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. But I'm going to pause there for just a second and say this. This distinction has been a problem with many people in the world over a long, long period of time. And it's a real problem even today. There are people who buck against the fact that God makes this distinction. And I would just say to you um, um, that if, for whatever reason, you would choose to make decisions to favor someone other than whom God says he would bless, go visit Genesis 12, verse 3, and see what the Lord might speak to your soul about this. Basically, God says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. So make that of what you will, but as a pastor, I would be I would be poor poorly doing my job if I didn't point that out to you, because I want you to be blessed. Anyway, so okay, verse 8. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you, and after that I will go out. Moses is very, very fired up when he's saying this. And he went from Pharaoh in hot anger. Now remember, back in, in chapter ten. Um, at the end of chapter 10, Pharaoh had said, if I see your face again, you're going to die. And Moses said, you're not going to see my face again. Um, and and that's, So what's going on here that we just read in chapter 11? He hadn't actually left yet. So God is giving this to Pharaoh as he stands there in the, in the Pharaoh's courts. He says, okay, I'll leave, and you won't see him again, but here's what's coming. And he went through that whole description, and he lays it all out for him. And, and, and then it says, he went out in hot anger, man. Verse 9, Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's not going to listen to you that my wonders will be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. So chapter 12 explains um, the details about what happens, about what chapter 11 says is going to happen, and uh, so in there we're going to find four pictures uh, about salvation. The first one is this, um, the spotless lamb it's a very very powerful picture of Jesus my savior. My savior Exodus 12 starting in verse 1. Here we go in our text now. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, "This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you." Okay, awesome. God is saying, "We're starting over." The calendar you're used to, the stuff, the way that you've been able to measure time in the past, that's all changing. Throw it all out. We're going to change. You're going to have a new New Year's Eve. You're you're going to forever, and it's going to be because of this thing that I'm going to do. This Passover, you're never going to look back at the year again the same. You're never going to look at dates the same. Um, We're going to mark time from this from now on, because this is pivotal. This is a big deal. God is saying. This is going to be something that just... This is going to be the foundation. Verse 3. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household... Okay, so every household, every head of house, every man and woman and child, every empty investor, everybody, for every household there was to be one lamb, verse 4, and if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Okay, so at the time there was probably about 600,000 men Um, They would count population based on adult men. And so that was, we're probably talking about at least a couple million people here. At least a couple million people. And every household, get a lamb. And if your household is too small, then you can kind of huddle up with your neighbors. But we're talking about a lot of lambs. And not just any lamb. In verse 9, God gets real specific about the eating of this lamb. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. Okay? Don't understand that completely, God. Sounds kind of icky, but for now, I'm just going to keep reading. You know, and it's like, okay, if anything was going to remain until morning, they had to burn it. There wasn't supposed to be anything left over. It was, was, uh, you know... Remember, we're talking about here about a picture that they, don't, they haven't seen yet. For us, a picture in the past of the cross and the empty tomb, right? And um, they're supposed to eat all of it. And here's the key. Let none of it remain. They were to consume all of it. This was not an invitation to gluttony. You know, they were supposed to, each person was supposed to have an appropriate amount But if you didn't have enough people in your house to eat the whole lamb, you're supposed to just invite your neighbors and your friends, your extended family, so that none of it was to remain. So just to cut to the chase at this point in this in this in this process, all of Christ for all of my sins is enough to get all of me to heaven. Okay, just let that sit for a while. So this lamb was going to have, the lamb that was gonna have its bloodshed, is this picture of what Christ. Was going to do on the cross, and God was saying, Eat all of the lamb, not just part of it. How many people want just part of Jesus? You know, I like this part, I'm not too sure about that part. I mean, I, I'm a fan of Mod Pizza. Have you been to Mod Pizza? Mod pizza's pretty cool. Um, You go down a line and somebody else builds your pizza for you, but they don't just slop it together. It's like, what you tell them, I'll have some of that. No, I want more. No, more. I, I don't want that. Leave that part out. Give me some of that. I want it cooked dirty skirt, you know, crispy on the bottom, maybe almost just short of black. It's called dirty skirt. If you're a real pizza person, you already knew that. Okay, so... You know, you, you build up the pizza the way you want it with the ingredients that you prefer and you leave off the ones you don't prefer. A lot of people want mod Jesus. We do. I'll just take that part. I don't want that part. I, don't, I, I like the part that he's going to forgive me. I like that part a lot. Put extra part of that part on. A, but the part where he's going to judge me, let's leave that off. Let's just not even add that at all. I, I want my Jesus, the one I built... The problem is that the Jesus you built isn't really going to do a lot for you. There's just one true Jesus, and he's the one that's revealed in God's word. And they were to take all of him. All of him. Jesus Christ, all that he is. And and a second really important instruction is not just the all, but uh, continuing in verse 8. They shall eat the flesh that night, roast it on the fire, and that's pretty plain, with unleavened bread... Now I think it's my opinion that the only reason that blood, uh, the, the bread was included was so that God could say unleavened, <laughs> unleavened bread. There's a reason for that. Unleavened leavening was representative of of imperfect things that were added by humankind, imperfection. You know, disobedience, hypocrisy, sin, false gods, false philosophies. Those are the things that human beings want to put into their worship process. But anyway, okay, unleavened bread with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water. No sushi, no soup, no stew, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. Just the lamb, you know, no mint jelly, no rice pilaf, no almond, green beans. Anybody hungry here? Right up till I say heads and innards. Um, No potatoes. It's a picture of salvation. Jesus plus nothing. All of Jesus and only Jesus. All of Jesus and only Jesus. Okay, verse back in Exodus, uh, back in uh, verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male, a year old, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Okay, so without blemish. Not just any old lamb, but this had to be a perfect lamb. If you, if you go into Leviticus chapters 4 and chapters 22. The word goes into great detail about their selection of animals that they could use for their, their, their sacrifices. And, and it's done elsewhere, too. But it basically, it teaches you shall not offer to God um, anything that has a blemish. You know, it's just not going to be acceptable. If anybody's going to bring an offering of any kind, whether it's a peace offering or a freewill offering, in order for it to be accepted, it had to be perfect. There's got to be no blemish. If the animal's blind or if the animal's disabled or you know, mutilated or injured or sick, no joy. That does not work. It has to be perfect because it's a picture of Christ. It's, it's, Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. You know, at, at the time, the mobs were screaming, crucify him, crucify him, and with all these trumped-up charges against him. And, and even his enemies couldn't think of anything against him, so they made up stuff. In fact, Pontius Pilate, After he examined and talked to Jesus, he he basically, you know while the people are out there shouting, crucify him, crucify him, he's saying, hey, hey, I find no basis for a charge against this man. I find no fault in this man. You can read about that in in John 18. So, okay, so uh, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says this, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you get that? Okay, so has that sinlessness of christ paying the price for you has that captured your heart yet because you know okay so their passover lamb had to be perfect because it was a picture of christ spotless lamb this picture of jesus is my savior there there, there aren't any perfect people right i mean everybody needs a savior everybody hebrew 7 says that he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to god through him you know there's he can save anybody I was talking with somebody this morning about some former Hell's Angels that were coming to, to know the Lord in, in a church in Tacoma. And it's like, okay, God can save anybody. And those Hell's Angels had nothing on Paul, who was a murderer of Christians. God can save anybody. But make no mistake, you need forgiveness. We do. The scriptures tell us in Lamentations, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Romans 8 tells us that uh, nothing can separate us from the love of of God in Christ Jesus. It's great. That part's great. We'll take that part of Jesus, right? That's good. But what's also is true is that there's this problem. We have a problem. And we can't solve it. Because God loves us, but He also hates our sin, He hates it, He hates our sin with this holy indignation that we just really can 't picture. we really don 't understand it i 've got a problem you 've got a problem, and that is that our sin is a, an affront to the Holy God. All the pain and suffering that 's present in the world is the result of sin, every bit of it and while it's true that God loves you and it's true, God hates sin. And that's a problem. And that is a problem that only finds its resolution in a Savior. And that's what the Lamb is picturing. That's what, that's what Jesus did. Do you have a Savior? Everybody needs forgiveness. Do you have Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you made that your own you have that spotless lamb. Jesus, my savior. Okay, the second picture is the, lamb, uh, the lamb's blood on the doorpost. Jesus, my substitute. As if the lamb picture isn't enough here, the Lord's directing even further. Okay, here there's three verses. Verse seven, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they, they eat it. Verse 13, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you. And when I strike the land of Egypt, verse 23, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the, on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. So they would take this, this hyssop flower and it's a real pretty flower, and, and dip it in blood and use it like a paintbrush um, on, the, on the two doorposts and on the lintel above the door. This common flower. So picture your house, you know, where you live right now, whether it's a house or a condominium or an apartment, or you know, wherever you live and with whoever you live, the head of your household, every single one, um, needed to do this. It wasn't something that priests were supposed to do. Um, so I'm just kind of curious. How many people here have ever field-dressed an animal? You got any, wow, quite a few. Way to go. You know, I could ask that same question in some churches, and there wouldn't be very many hands up. So, yeah, I've, you know, I've got a deer, and I've got, I'm okay, that's gross. But, yeah, okay, so you, you understand. So I guess a lot of hands would go up, to if I say you've never field-dressed an animal. How many people have never field-dressed an animal? It's really okay. You know, okay, a little bit more than the first time. I don't blame you. Um, It's not like, hey, what do you want to do? I don't know, let's go field dress an animal. No, that's not on my list. Um, uh, (laughs) I used to say that the stinkiest thing in the universe was an elk. Until I realized that the stinkiest thing in the universe was the inside of an elk. Okay, that has nothing to do with this. (laughs) But man, oh man, I'm telling you, it's terrible. (laughs) But me, it's good. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, Anyway, so... um, (laughs) Okay, regather here, Terry. So, But the thing was this. Everybody was doing this. This wasn't the priests would come to your house and do this for you. The priests weren't supposed to do this. Now, um, I'm looking around this because I'm going to be graphic for the next 15 or 30 seconds. I just want to make sure I don't have any really, really too young and tender ears to hear this. But... um, Leviticus 17 tells us that, that, that they were to drain all of the blood. They were not to eat any of the blood because God says that the life is in the blood. So the sacrifice was going to be um, a problem in terms of mess. You were to take the animal that was to be sacrificed, stretch its neck, and slice it. And the reason for that was because as, as, as the, animal, the animal would not die instantly, the heart would continue pumping, and it would literally pump out and uh, imagine if you've never done that with an animal before, um, the sounds, the violence of those moments, the kicking, the messiness of it. This was an ugly, ugly, awful picture. Terrible and we we kind of prefer to clean up our imagery as we think about the cross and the things that happened and and the sacrifices we We, we want to clean those things up, and we we talk about you know nothing but the blood of Jesus sing, we sing the songs, and we should, but we have this compartment that will allow us to um, inform our minds of what that was because we kind of want to keep it sanitary and clean. I mean we got our Sunday clothes to go you know i mean we don't to we don 't want to do this and I, I understand that, but the whole imagery here was really terrible. The graphic details about that lamb, these lambs being killed, we don't like that. And people who want to view man as basically good, sin as just a a weakness, um, hell as just a figurative place. People who want to, to view judgment as unlikely also tend to view this talk about the blood and the blood itself is being unnecessary. It's extreme, it's uncivilized, and it's offensive. Why do you have to be so graphic? The reason is because sin is a deeply serious problem. The reason why the blood had to be shed, the reason why Christ had to suffer as he did was because God was showing the extreme lengths that had to be gone to in order to atone for, to pay the price for sin. And, um, you know, in, in my study, when I'm trying to figure out, okay, I see this, Lord, as best Terry can see it, uh, how do I get this out of the scriptures and into the hearts of the people who are going to, you know, be in your house and uh, to, to, to move it from being a intellectual understanding um, to what it really was, you know, they had to take this innocent, cuddly, precious little lamb and cause its totally unfair death. And the lamb just took it. It just took the violence. It it took the pain. It took the messiness. And they would take this warm blood and dip the hyssop and paint their door posts and their lintel with the blood. And it was graphic and it was awful. And it was extreme. And here's the thing. These people were slaves. They had some stuff, but they didn't have a lot. 800,000... Perfect lambs? There was probably plenty of lambs, but most of them probably didn't have a whole bunch of lambs to pick from. Some of them had to go pursue and look for a lamb that was going to qualify, a perfect lamb. Uh, they, most of them probably didn't have a whole lot of perfect without, you know, they had to borrow one or buy one or trade one or something. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, I don't, I don't know if I could have taken out my knife and done that to the lamb. You would have then. You would have mustered it up somehow. Because while God loves you, he hates your sin. And sin has to be atoned for, and somebody's got to pay. And the Lamb was, is this picture of Christ paying for our sin. And it wasn't beautiful, and it wasn't lovely. And so the blood's on the doorposts, and they had to put the blood up there. Okay, so the third picture was the destroyer passing over. Jesus, this is Jesus, God's judgment. Exodus 12, 12, catch this carefully. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike. This is the Lord speaking. I will pass through. I will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast and and on all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Notice this is not a demonic spirit. This is not... An angel of death, this is not a human messenger, this is not a natural disaster. This is Jesus Christ pre-incarnate. This is before the empty tomb. This this is before the cross, before Nazareth, before Bethlehem. This is Jesus cross who said, you can read this in, in John chapter 8. Before Abraham was, I am. This is Jesus himself passing over the land of Egypt at every door, at every street striking down the firstborn in judgment in every place where provision for God's forgiveness was rejected wow we have this picture that's a little one-sided about Christ of mercy and love and forgiveness and it's so true and that's his heart and that's what he would like it to be 100% but this is also Christ people who claim that they can get to heaven they can get to God by being good, but they reject the lamb, they're going to experience the exact same thing that, that, that Egypt experienced that night. Those that place themselves under the plan of God, under the plan of forgiveness, under that lamb, they lived. And those who rejected the sacrifice of the lamb, they're going to experience judgment. Your friends who believe this Euphemism, well, a loving God would never send anybody to hell. They don't understand what Jesus was doing that night. It was a hard night, but it was a righteous night. Verse 29, at midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeons, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in that night, he... And all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. And that's so true because either the firstborn was dead or a lamb was dead in every house. Verse 31, then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, up. Go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds, and as you have said, and be gone. And then interesting, he says, and bless me also. Now, there's a couple of things that Christians tend to not recognize about this moment in history. Okay, for, for the children of Israel, for the nation that was about to depart, first one is that Pharaoh was a, kind of like a god to them. I'm not talking about he was the socially accepted, believed god. That they, the, I'm, I'm just saying that they, the, he, the, Pharaoh was their source of hope. He was their future. He was their provision. He was their happiness. He, he, Pharaoh was a god, like a god to them. So because of that, they worshipped him. The children of Israel actually worshipped Pharaoh. And this 10th plague is this direct assault on Pharaoh's claim to deity. You know, if Pharaoh's really God, then surely he can stop um, what he would most want to stop, right? If he's really a deity, and 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 where does a father love more? His children, probably. Um, his son, his firstborn son. But he's not able to stop what he would most want to stop. <laughs> he's impotent. He's not God at all. And the Lord crushes Pharaoh's claim to deity. God wants to tear down our false saviors. You know, wh- what false savior maybe are we raising up against the knowledge of Christ as savior? Maybe, maybe you think you really can save yourself. You know, I- I'm a good person, and somehow when I get there, God's going to weigh out the good and the bad, and it's going to say, well, close, Terry, but okay, you made it. This is not true. I'm going to tell you, when Terry gets there, it's going to be a slam dunk Tilted way, landslide. Get in here. You're my son because Christ is my Savior. Not by works of righteousness, which we've done, Titus says, but according to his mercy, he saved us. I know that's true for for, for many or most of you. Uh, I I love there's a scripture that I love. It's real simple. It comes in two parts. It's Romans 6.23. It says, for the wages, and these wages are just like at work. It's what you get for what you do right? Okay? Same thing. Wages of sin is death. And this just doesn't mean physical death because everybody dies, right? That's no big revelation. It's, this is talking about eternal death. It, 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 this death goes on for all eternity. It's in a place that Jesus called hell. By the way, Jesus talked more about hell than any of the other people in the, in, in the Bible. If you want to find out who was talking a lot about hell, who talked about it the most was Jesus. Okay, so and, you know, it, it, this scripture is saying that's the wages. That's what you get for sin. So we've got this really big problem because everybody sins. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10 says, None of us are righteous. No, not one. Isaiah fifty three six. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. I guess sheep just won't go where, they, where you want them to. They just go astray. We're all sinners. And we get... You know, And what we get for what we've done, the wages for what we've done is, is death. But that isn't, that's only half of that passage, that, that Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but what if that passage ended at right there? The wages of sin is death, sorry, go on home. Just go on, you're done. That's not where it ends, because here there's some good news. But the gift of God, it's a free gift, you don't earn it is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The gift of God is eternal life in, in Jesus. It's, it's, and then you go to heaven. Well, wait a second, Terry. You mean even though I've sinned, I can go to heaven? Yeah, awesome. Why does that work? Because God really loves you. You know, the wages of sin and death, but, but, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. You know, there is no plan B given in Scripture. This is it, okay, Terry? How do I do it? How how do I make that my own? How do I get Jesus to save me? The answer is that it's 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 the answer is simple, but it's not easy. It's a simple. I'll give you an answer. Okay, and and here I've seen it given this way before. A, B, C. A, accept. You have to accept that you're a sinner. Are, Are you good with that? I'm good with that. If any of you are having trouble with that, just ask somebody in your family. Okay? Okay. Uh, B, believe. Do you believe that Jesus died to pay the penalty for your sin? You know, it's, I can only ask you, do you believe that? It's, it's you know, look into your own heart right now and ask yourself, do I really believe that? And it's not just enough to believe it. Um, you have to see, confess. You have to confess him as Savior. T- to confess, you actually have to say some words. And typically, the first time that ever happens that would be in by way of a prayer, okay? So accept, believe, confess. You have to have a prayer, and I want to just for a moment give that opportunity right now in the middle of this this message. I just want I just wanted to give an opportunity, and this is a time for eyes to close, um, and uh, so we're going to give opportunity for people to pray, and, and I'll just tell you how to pray um, from your heart and give you an example, God. I know that I'm a sinner. I'm not, I'm not resisting that reality. I'm not claiming it isn't true. I'm not trying to erase it by being something. I know that I've broken your law, God, and I deserve your judgment. I know that I'm a sinner. But I do believe. I know some other people don't, but I do. I believe that Jesus died to pay for my sins, and I don't understand it all completely, but I do believe. You just tell that, God, tell that to God in your, your own words. I believe, Jesus. I believe that you love me. I believe you died for me. I believe you're the Savior. I believe. And so I confess you as my Savior. Come into my life, make it a reality, move, move it from my head to my heart. This Today's my day. Jesus, my Savior, I want this personally. Come into my life, forgive me. And you just pray like that. And many, maybe it was being prayed in your heart for the first time, and I just want to say thank you, Lord, for those decisions that maybe have happened just now. So one, Pharaoh was like a god to them. And the second thing was, Marking their doors was an incredible act of faith. I mean, this gathering of the blood and um, spreading the blood all around the, the door until it was running down the sides, um, this was an incredible act of faith on the part of every person who did it. Because what if the destroyer didn't come? What, what, if, what if that promised plague, the death of the first, firstborn, didn't actually arrive? There's no hiding it anymore. If your door is painted, that was a public decoration of a stance you were taking concerning God. He's God. Pharaoh isn't. You know. And if all that stuff didn't happen, Pharaoh's armies would going to be walking up and down the streets, and there wouldn't be any hiding. You're going to stand out. You know, it was like, who's on the Lord's side? And um, I'm on the Lord's side. And if you took that public stand, it would include a cost. Cost involved. It was a big act of faith, this public stance that God would come through for you. There's a New Testament equivalent of that, um, of putting the blood on the doorpost. And, and, and I believe that baptism is a New Testament equivalent, rough equivalent of painting the doorpost. And, and that's what baptism is. Baptism doesn't save anybody the baptismism isn't what saves anybody and if you if you've prayed like that prayer sincerely you know you're saved you you from your heart if that's really where you are in your relationship you've called him to be your savior and you have confessed him that you're saved but baptism is is going public you know i'm not ashamed i i'm i'm not ashamed for to anyone to to know that jesus christ is my savior i'm flying this flag at the top of the flagpole you know okay so final picture we got um, a spotless lamb jesus is my savior The second one was the blood on the doorpost. Jesus, my substitute. The third one is the destroyer Passover. This is uh, Jesus, God's judgment. And then the fourth one, time to decide as we wrap up now. Jesus, God's patience. I'm so blown out by God's patience here. If you didn't carefully read this and see the math involved, there were nine plagues, count them, nine of them, and all the while the hearts were hardening and hardening and hardening. And all the while, God is being patient and patient and patient. And then in chapter 11, he warns them about this 10th plague. He says, but the judgment, you know, th- he says, here's what's going on. But still the judgment delays. If you do the math on this, th- they get told, we got a new calendar. We're starting up here. And he says, on the 10th, go get a lamb. And on the 14th, the, the, the evening of the 14th, you go through this process. So they were waiting for a... If this was more than 14 days, we don't know, but it was at least 14 days. And the question I would ask in my mind is this. How many nights did Pharaoh go and kiss his son goodnight and his son had less than a month to live? And what excuse could be given for that resistance, that stubborn, stubborn resistance to the Lord? God's patience here is mind-boggling. And I think, you know, I've encountered people before and shared the good news with them and I'm an imperfect vessel and, you know, who knows. But maybe there are some people sitting here today who still have not responded to what they desperately need and that's a savior. And God offers it so freely. There's still time. Why? Why is there time? Why hasn't God cut off the time yet? I think it's because God loves How much time is there? Don't know. He could return or you could get hit by a potato truck. We don't know. Tomorrow is promising. and we do not know. But God loves us. Well, if God loves me, why isn't everything okay? Well, part of the you package is the sin. and God cannot accept the sin. He will not accept the sin. So he provides a solution and you get to choose. It's time to decide. Do I accept the gift or do I reject it and suffer what Egypt experienced? Today's a good day to come to Christ. I don't know if there will ever be another day like this for you. I don't know. So today's a really good day to decide. Let's pray. Lord, God, what a picture.